I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons-Debro. We've got a fantastic opportunity coming up this weekend. Wake Forest hosting Duke. I'm going to obviously break down as much as I can. Here on this episode, before I get to that, a little bit of housekeeping, football-wise, laughingwitch.gif, if you know, you know, good ways on good news on the way. With football, uh, one quick note, just in general, uh, there was a report that came out from The Athletic that the NCAA and the Collegiate Commissioner Association are looking at moving up the December signing period. Right now, it's in kind of the middle of December, which is still kind of, I think that's late. It's extremely late. But they're thinking about moving it up to the Wednesday before FBS Championship Games this year. That'll be December 4th. Uh, they have made a, a full decision um, of how long it'll last, three days or seven days. I think they need to move up in the football signing period. I think they just have to you're absolutely screwing over a bunch of high schoolers because, and, and it's not just the ones that aren't committed. It's the ones that are committed that all of a sudden get turned into the gray shirts and, or just get completely cut in general, because at that point the team is like, yeah, you know, you were kind of a fringe guy for us. And now you know, the portals here, we've seen all season, what we, what we desperately need. We're actually going to go in a different way. You know, best of luck to you. Like a couple of days before signing period. Before the signing day, it's it's disgusting. One thing that has been thrown out is the possibility of a summer signing period, either in June or August. 
I would kind of prefer August if I was, if that was me. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know what the coaches would prefer June or June. I think August might be the best time for them just to say, Hey, look, we're going to get through all the stuff and then basically go from signing day right into the, into fall camp and into the season. If it does happen and you get a summer signing period in August for you know, the NCAA, I do not think there could be a better thing for your schools like Wake Forest, like Stanford, your really your high academic schools, especially a team like Wake that very much thrives on being a keen evaluator. We see it every, every year, every single year that Wake Forest has these prospects that they get committed in and they end up blowing the hell up when it comes to signing day. Jeremiah Melvin, Jeremy Heklinski, and Darius Jones were three from last year. Miles Turpin as well. The year before, it was Micah Mays, Tyler Walton a bit, uh, Deuce Alexander. The year before that was RIP to Wake Forest legend uh, Wesley Grimes, you know, as he's at NC State. But Demont Claiborne was someone that was also pretty, pretty waffly for a second. You know, every single year it. There are, there are people that rise up the ranks in Wake Forest class, and even it, it, whether they rise up in terms of their actual ratings or just in terms of their recruitment. Because, I mean, even some of these guys that are lower rated have some, some had some people coming after them. Devon Patterson was one of them. I know that Tamar Stevenson was one of them, same with Deshaun Jones. Um, just because they don't publicize the offer doesn't mean that the that they don't have offers from other people. And so I think if you if Wake Forest and Wake Wake, Wake isn't a team that's gonna drop people. They, they will gray shirt. I mean they had two gray shirts this year with Ty Clark and Elijah Reed. And you know they made both of those very, very clear up front that they were going to be gray shirt offers. That was why you know Marquis Barrett, if you remember that saga where he was committed to Wake a high three star wide receiver and then ended up decommitting was because, you know, he had accepted the gray shirt and then probably shouldn't have committed at that, at that point. Just, uh, he had really only visited a couple places, really shouldn't have committed at that point. And then kind of backed off when he really took a step back and realized just, you know, there's a possibility that he doesn't get a scholarship until his sophomore year. You know, that's, that's tough for, for some people. And, you know, but with guys with Elijah and, and Ty, they were both made very clear that those would be, Gracious opportunities. They obviously now, due to attrition and injuries, have now both gotten you know their full offers. One of them is actually enrolled in for spring. So I, I think an early an earlier signing period would do wonders for a for a team like Wake. So I open up my app this morning, the bird, the formerly bird app, and I'm sitting here seeing. The just there has not been a lot of solidarity in the ACC, given you know one of the members is suing to try to get out of the ACC. Another one, Clemson, you know, is once out. UNC once out. UVA is trying to figure out what they're doing right now. There has not been much solidarity within the with the ACC and their member and their member schools. The one thing there has been solidarity on has been Joe Lenardi being garbage. 
I want to take a step here and, you know, if there are any of the bracketolo- the Twitter bracketologists that listen to this, you know, I, I think, you know, they do a, a good job of doing what they do. It's an inexact science. I understand, you know, you can get within a certain percentage of being right. And I think once we get close to, you know, essentially that last week or so leading up into March Madness, you know, not saying it's easy to be right with that because I know, I know you, Joe and Artie, um, have some have some errors, but I think think it's a little bit easier, especially because if you're following it the entire time, I think it's there are a little bit less surprises. There's always gonna be a couple that are gonna be surprised. There's always a random snub here and there, um, and then the sea lines can always be can be wonky. But I think they do a pretty good job, you know, day to day, week to week of kind of keeping an eye and say, hey, this is about what the bubble looks like. I think that's really more important. Just saying, hey, well, it's, who's in the bubble? Who's who's in? Who's out? There's always some names that don't really make sense. Like right now, Texas A&M, not really, not really understanding the whole Texas A&M being in sort of thing. You know, I, I understand the the Aggies have a few Q and wins. They have six, and I think you know wins over Iowa State, who's garbage. SMU is not even in tournament. Uh, Iowa State, that's a good. It's a good win for them. You know, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida. I think they have some solid wins for them. But they got four Q, got four Q three losses. Man, that that can't fly. Like that, that physically can't fly to get a tournament. And I think that's something that's given a lot of ACC fans, especially Wake. It's given a lot of ACC fans like a lot of pause, just because. If an ACC team has one or two Q3 losses, we're sitting here hanging, we're sitting, we're sitting them to the gallows and they're just, they're, it's done. We're asking the NCAA turner committee, can there be an actual, can they hop on CBS right now and say, hey, that team with Georgia Tech, you know, Syracuse, I mean, obviously Syracuse doesn't have Q3 losses, but work with me here. You know, and Syracuse has got two Q3 losses and they're asking, some people have been like, you know what, Syracuse, you're done. Get out of here. You can't you can't play anymore. You're done. Like the fact of like you having four Q3 losses, which is supposed to be where it's like, all right, this is a problem. And like you're a you're a Texas AM you're in, or you're a Gonzaga that doesn't really have a like if you look at Gonzaga's resume, it looks awful. And I understand there's the name value of Gonzaga, they're 22nd in the net. Get it. 10 wins in Q4, 6 in Q3, 1 and 5 in Q1, 2 and 1 in Quad 2. I mean, they're out of conference. Uh, strength of schedule was 24th, and I think that was great, but it's their average net was, is at, excuse me, their average net win is 213. So the, the teams they've beaten are, they've played a hard schedule, quote unquote, but they've just kind of beaten bad teams in Syracuse. Like their wins out of conference were Yale, Eastern Oregon, which doesn't count, Syracuse on a neutral court. UCLA, Cal State Bakerfield, a crappy USC team, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Mississippi Valley State, Jackson State. Like that, like that's what they did on the conference. And so their entire resume right now is just kind of been beating up on bad teams in their in the WCC. And uh, at Kentucky, Kentucky's everyone's best win, apparently. Don't understand that, but you look at those teams and you go, okay, why is everyone giving like wake a hard time of being on the right side of the cut line versus, you know, a team like Gonzaga, a team like Texas A&M. It feels weird because it's, it's a, it feels like just the ACC has had that sort of perception problem. And it's, it's been a perception problem the last few years. And 
it's really hard to reconcile the fact that the ACC has had a ton of success in the NCAA tournament over the last five, 10 years versus, you know, the Mountain West. And I, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate the fact that, you know, right now it feels like there's some sort of hate for the Mountain West. I don't, I will make jokes about the Mountain West and, you know, I still think they are in, in a, a conference of net merchants, an absolute conference of it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you got to perform in March. That was a big criticism I had, had and have of the Big Ten. But you got to perform in March, and the Mountain West hasn't done that. And then it's also really hard for me, for me to sit here and look at a team like Utah State, who I think is a fine team. I think they're a very fun team. I've watched a lot of Utah State. But like they're a Q1, and I just kind of go, you, you, again, you haven't played anybody. And it's not so much you, you only have to play a, a, a South Carolina or a Purdue or a Arizona, but it's like I look at their schedule and their their entire non-conference schedule is absolutely garbage. Like it is just South Dakota Mines, Bradley, Southern Utah, Marshall, Akron, Stephen F. Austin, St. Louis. Like it, like that's what their non-con is. And then they're finding the Q1 wins in Colorado State, Boise State, San Diego State. I, I think San Diego, San Diego State's the only going out of that one. But they're finding all these, these Q1s that are in the Mountain West because their entire conference has had the same sort of schedule of let's play a bunch of like meh out of conference. Doesn't matter if we win or lose against, against good teams as long as we just beat the hell out of bad teams. And everyone's Q1. Like Boise State's kind of the same way. Boise State out of conference beat San Fran by five. Lost to Clemson, lost to VT. Beat VCU, who I think is fine. Lost to Butler. Beat St. Mary's, who I think, I, I still think the conference is just bad. St. Mary's has kind of been an example of I don't think you're good. But Northwestern State, Cal State Fullerton, Utah Valley. And then it's like, okay. Now you're you're just playing. You've played a bunch of garbage. Beat them by twenty to forty points, and now you're just basically beating up on Q ones of people in your conference. I think that's been the issue with with that has just been one who they played and lost to, and two just the fact that it's one of those things that it feels like the metrics just keep doubling down on themselves because I think the net by itself is fine. I think if we got the numbers of what the net was we would feel so, so, so much better about what the net does. But the fact that we don't know what the cutoff is between 30 and 31 right now, I have no idea what the difference is between Utah State and Indiana State. And that is the difference for some team between having the Q1 win and a Q2 win. Not having that information makes you a lot skeptical, a lot more skeptical of what that what what this data is putting out that's just if the more transparent you are of data the more trustworthy people are going to be because they can look at it and say okay maybe there's some flaws here or there of how you arrived at this number but the fact that you know the difference between these two are is you know a tenth of a point or a hundredth of a point i feel better we don't know that with the net and then then now that we don't know that now we have these extremely arbitrary cutoffs of what a Q1 win is, and and they're being they're so important. Like tell Wake Forest that that game against Pitt, that which was a Q2 game, 
wasn't, you know, as important as a Q1 game at Virginia or a Q1 game, or I guess now Q2 game at NC State. Like tell, like tell them that that, that that's not important as some of these Q1 games. Like that's it's it's not possible. You compare it to the wins over the. You can use Torvik, which has its own wins against the bubble sort of metric, and it's right there with them. And so, I think it's the angst around the like the net, which has doubled down on itself, and the fact of you have people parroting of you know the Mountain West. Who again, I think they're a very very fun, and I I enjoy what the Mountain West does. I love watching their basketball. The very same time, like if you continue to not put up when it comes to March it's going to consistently be a like people are going people people who do show up in March are going to consistently be like why are you putting them in that's just how that's going to work i understand the committee is supposed to look at it every single year of it is a new season etc but if it keeps happening like at a certain point you've got to just look at look in the mirror and be like oh, what are we rewarding are we rewarding are we saying you know they had the best numbers attached to them or are they going to perform? And that's, I think that's a whole different story of what the committee is trying to answer and selecting the field. That's my rant on that. So again, to the Twitter bracketologists, I enjoy you guys' work. If you're someone that comments on them, please don't be an asshole. <laughs> like, I think it's all fun and games, the chirp back and forth, whatever. You know, there's always some, some light, some, some light play here and there, but like, don't be a complete asshole about it. That, that that's there there's no place for that there are people too they're just simply trying to do what they find what find join in joy in it doesn't hurt anybody of what they do it doesn't hurt it at all as long as people aren't being absolutely egregious Joe Lenardi be fine we're fine play nice things things always work themselves out one way or another no matter what they say positive or negative things will always work itself out Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we have one of the biggest games, if not the biggest games in Wake Forest history on Saturday. 
Duke Blue Devils are coming to town. I understand that Duke feels as if every team is, you know, play it treats them as their Super Bowl, and this is err. I mean, one that just look, man, that's gotta come to the territory, man. Be if you're if you're gonna be a good team, come to the territory. But the thing is, like, I don't think this is the Super Bowl because it's Duke. I, I don't I think that helps. And I kind of equated a little bit to the NC State football game in 2022, where yes, I think I think it had a little bit of extra juice, the fact that you're playing a big four team. I think that had that has a lot of that has some things to do. I would be an idiot to say it doesn't have anything to do with this game. The thing is, though, that Wake Forest fans are so, 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 so thirsty for an NCAA tournament. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if Dayton really quenches that thirst unless they win a game in Dayton. But Wake Forest fans are so thirsty, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. I understand why. Look, I'm wearing wearing a Wake Forest shirt, right? I was, I was, I, I was, I went to school during some very bad times. They were not good, except 2017 year, and John Collins drugged them to a tournament. This is a game that if you win this game, again, the path is still the path. You still, even if you win this game, you do not have a license to lose to Georgia Tech, to lose to Notre Dame. You, you can't sit here and, and go with like 0-4 in the next in the next four games. You can't do that. But you put yourself in a very, very, very advantageous position to the fact that you could lose one of Duke or Duke and Virginia Tech. You know, you can mess around and lose both, and it wouldn't be the worst thing, and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It wouldn't be great. But this is one that you can circle and say, hey. You show it when, the, when a tournament committee comes up, and this just this is how this works. They don't put people next to each other. They don't put Gonzaga and Texas A&M and Wake Forest on a, on a board and say choose between these three. They don't do that. All the names are in a, are just in a pile. They pick one name up. UConn definitely in the tournament. Move on. And they get down. They 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 do their numbers and keep going down. And then they get to you know there's there's five six left. They pick up a name, Wake Forest. What does Wake Forest bring? They're calling Wake Forest's name. What's on this resume? You having a home win against a team that is one right now, like pretty hot. Like Duke has been kind of an up and down team all year. They have a some back to back just annoying losses against Arkansas and Georgia Tech. I still don't know how that happened to this day. But they've won their last five games. Uh, they've won three of their last five pretty pretty handily against Notre Dame, Boston College, and Miami. I, they're a good team. Like they they are a good team. They are deserving of you know a top ten ranking. There's when the when the bids came out. I believe not the bid. Excuse me. When the tournament committee came out and gave out their top. Their top few lines, I, I believe they were a four seed. I need to check that. Um, I don't know why I didn't have that written down. But, oh, so they had Duke as the last third seed. And I think Duke might have a chance to move up, has, has kind of moved up since then. I mean, they've just, they've looked impressive. Good for them. 
this is a this is a game that you you can just sit here and be like, you can't tell me a sugar honey iced tea about this. You can't tell me anything about it. I don't care if someone gets hurt in the game. I don't care if John Shire gets gets shot to the moon. I don't care if the Harlem Globetrotters come in, take over the game, and then all of a sudden Duke's like, you know what, we're going home. We're just going to forfeit. If you win this game, there is nothing they can tell you at that very at this very moment. You still have to take care of business the rest of the way. No, I think the rest of the way you would have to go two and two at absolute worst, but three and one is probably the, you're still your barometer there. But this game has so much more meaning besides just ha- like just having this win. You look at the ACC standings right now, and oh, buddy. It is a. You're, you're still in a little bit of a of a, of a mosh, but if you're awake, you're ahead of the mosh right now, just by like the skin of your teeth. That's why beating Pitt was so important, was because after you beat Pitt, you became the sole owner of fourth in the uh, fourth in the ACC. You know, that double buy is important, not just because it puts you in a better limelight for the committee, but it just also allows you to not set yourself up for a bad loss. Even if you lose in the first game in DC, it'll, it says, hey, I can be, I, I the team I lose to is more than likely a Q1 loss. The committee doesn't really pay a whole ton of attention to conference tournaments. I think that's dumb. I think that's really dumb, but regardless, you know, if you lose a Q1 game in your first game, it's fine. You're living life right now. You're fourth, you're nine and six. You are a game up on Clemson, who you get at the end of the year. So that tiebreaker, if you, if you finish tied with Clemson, it just ends up being, you know, what happened with that game. You're only, I think, I think two games behind. Miss Miss UVA. I, well, I can say Mister. I don't know. If, I don't know if UVA has a gender. Shouldn't assign. Shouldn't assign it one. But you're not far behind behind UVA. You know, you you really could have used beating them. That would have been very very nice for the for the for the goal tiebreaker. But see, here's the thing. If you look at Virginia's schedule moving forward, they've got some work in front of them. Not for the tournament. I still think, you know, they win. They beat both Boston College, Georgia Tech. I think they're fine. They beat any of either of New York, UNC or Duke. They're they're more than fine. But they, so they go, they host UNC, who granted UNC hasn't won at JPJ since 2012. They go to Boston College on Wednesday. They go to Durham uh, to take on Duke and Cameron Indoor. And then they finish the season at home against Georgia Tech. You are two games behind them in the standings. It is a very, very, very realistic thing for you to, for UVA to lose two of those games. It would be no shame. It's just, you know, UNC and Duke are right now the two best teams in the conference. Wake Forest wins this game against Duke. And Wake Forest is ends up tied with UVA for that third spot, Wake gets the third spot because how the tiebreakers work, if it starts off obviously with the obviously with the 
tie with head to head, but like Forest and UVA are would be one 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 with each other. After that, it goes down the standings and says, "All right, who's number who's number one in standings? What's your what is your record against them? If it's UNC um, and U- and UVA goes two and two, and you, me, if UVA loses to both Duke and, and UNC, then both Wake and UVA will be on one. That doesn't matter anymore. We get to ignore UNC. The next one is Duke. Wake Forest beats Duke, and UVA loses to Duke. Wake Forest is one and one. UVA is zero and one. One and one. Greater than podcasting the visual media. I'm doing the greater than sign. One and one is better than zero and one. Wake Forest gets the third seed. All of a sudden, now you're in a much better, you're in a much more advantageous position than you than you originally thought you were going to be in. And so that's why you know there's more than just the NCAA tournament here. It this is it this could affect seeding just in general. There is a lot for Wake Forest on the line for Wake Forest. For Duke, there's not a ton on the there's not there's not a ton on the line. No, it's. I'm not saying they're not going to care about this game because it's a big four team. Duke wants to win. Duke is Duke is a good historic. Well, Duke has been a good team. They want to prove that they are going to continue to be a good team. That's fine. But this is one where I think Wake Forest has to come out and, you know, I, I hate the whole, yeah, I want it more, but they've got to want it. They've got to want it. This has got to be a game where, you can't lack intensity. You can't lack focus. I mean, you're going to, you're, there are going to be some lulls. There are a bunch of 18 to 22, 23 year olds. That's going to happen. I can't sit here in good faith and expect them to not have, have either side have any mental lulls throughout this entire thing. Professionals have lulls throughout courses of games. There, it's going to happen. But this can't be one where you just come out extremely flat for the entire game. You, the Joel is going to be absolutely rocking. Like, absolutely rocking. And I, you know, shout out to Mitt for the 10,000 tie-dye shirts. Um, you know, it being a tie-dye nation game would be, is, is going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping and... You know, I, I'd hope that they're that they're going to bring out the gold jerseys. I heard some murmurs that they were going to bring them out for this game. I think they are. I think you got to lean all the way the hell into this game. You got to put it. You got your put. You're pushing your chips into the table. This has got to be a game you have. This is like Pitt was a got to have it. This is a must win. You, you got to do it. You got to if you want to play in the NCAA tournament. I think there's still a path without it. Again, I have been a four and one over the stretch. Get you in no matter if you lose to um no matter if you lose to Virginia Tech and or excuse me if you lose to Duke or Virginia Tech or Clemson if you you can you can lose to one of the three but I don't know but I think lose beating Duke would make you feel a whole 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 lot better. Sorry my phone is going the hell off right now and I don't know why. I tried to rewatch the game. Well, not tried to. I went and rewatched the game from Cameron Indoor. Uh, it's like a uh, fun environment. You know, I'll, I'll keep my thought, my negative thoughts about Cameron Indoor. You know, to if Wake if Wake wins, 
on Saturday for Monday's podcast, I'll 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 give my full unfiltered thoughts on Cameron Indoor. But you know, I obviously watched that game from press row. Watched it again, and I mean, there's not a ton to break down. I mean, it, it's it, this was one of those really really simple games. The, you got to make you just got to make shots. I thought Wake Forest did not play a great game against Pitt, which feels extremely weird to say because Wake Forest had a legendary game against Pitt. Like, like truly legendary, as in the first time in recorded Wake Forest history to go, what is it, 60 from the field, 50 from the, from three, and 90 to 95, 90 and 95 plus from the free throw line. Damn it, Cam. Why'd you miss one? They could have been 100. <laughs> they had an absolutely legendary game in terms of their efficiency. I still didn't feel, and I'm, I am not alone in this. Like I, People who are much smarter at basketball than I am said the exact same thing of they did not feel like Wake Forest played in a particularly like clean game. I think offensively. I think defensively, they played phenomenally. The only thing I would have really cleaned up would have been they they let they had a couple of wide open threes for, for like low. Didn't love I didn't love that. Um, so I thought it was for low and for Leggett. You let you I thought they were gonna maybe let them get into a rhythm for a second, but they ended up shutting that down. When it came to offensive rebounds, I thought the guards could have done a much better job. They got effed in two they straight up got effed in two fouls because they didn't rebound the ball on the offensive side, on the defensive side. They just gave up, what was it, 14 or 16 offensive rebounds? That's bad. Can't do that. Uh, that you, you can't can't do that. They gave up 16 offensive rebounds. They gave up more offensive rebounds than they did defensive rebounds. But let that sink in. That's obviously because they made every shot, but they gave up 16 offensive rebounds. You're not going to win a ton of games where you where you give that many up. Pitt just didn't make them pay because they shot 29% from the field. But I thought Wick's defense was very, very good in that game. I thought they were, I thought they were for the most part solid. I thought Cam Hildreth did a phenomenal job on Blake Henson. Not just purely like just making life hard on him. Got in his head, man. He got underneath his skin. And, you know, some stuff that Blake kind of got away with didn't really fly in the Joel. And, you know, it, <laughs> one thing led to another. And you know, Cam Cam played fantastic defensively. He played, I think, the smartest offensive he could game plan he could have had. You know, I didn't hate the three he took, to be quite honest. It was it was it was a fine shot. Just didn't go in. Rest of the way, I thought he was fantastic. The layups that he's been missing finally fell. Thought Mr. Miller, Mr. Boop played a solid game. I thought he was very, very, very good off the bounce. You know, I I thought, you know, that I mentioned on, on Twitter, but I he had a little stop turnaround jumper, and I was like, that that hadn't gone in more than twice on the road, but it's falling at home. Get out of here. You know, I thought that, you know, I thought Andrew Carr played well defensively. I thought Hunter played well defensively. I thought even Damari and, and Parker played well. Defensively, I thought I, I thought this was a collectively good defensive effort. The rebound it was the one thing I was really beside, and I guess the open some open shots, but 
it was rebounding. It's really been my only like you've got to got to clear that up. Offensively, I I I thought they were fine. They had just made they just ended up making the shots. Like I thought, like a couple of those ones for Parker were just insane. You know, I thought Salas was pretty efficient. Five for eight, three for three from three. You know, there's not really much more you can you can really ask out of him. I but I did felt like there's a lot more left on the table, and I think that's what's encouraging. I thought they played it had a better offensive game plan of getting open shots against Duke than they did against Pitt, which weirds me out. But I mean, Duke they just they just couldn't hit the broadside of It was you go back and watch that game, and it's just wide open three miss, wide open three miss, wide open three miss. Take it to the rack, miss. Like it, they just could not buy a shot at all. And you got to make shots. I don't. You don't need to necessarily, you know, wake shoot 60, 50, and ninety next on on Saturday. Think they're going to win, but I think you. I think you've got to make shots. You can't get too flustered. Got you. Got just got to make shots. It's as simple as that. Can't shoot. You know. 28% of the first half and expect to expect to win and then shoot worse in the second. We'll shoot the shot better in the second half. But you can't shoot like crap and expect to win, especially against a team against Duke, like Duke. Efton, and to an extent, Andrew Carr. Efton Reed, when he played, when he was guarded by Mr. Kyle Filipowski against Duke, was three for four for eight points and drew a foul. Um, and got got two free throws out of that. Should have had two more in ones. Um, that one of the one of his layups was just a complete. Just Filipowski was just all over him and just got nothing. And but they didn't call it in one. I thought the one he missed on Ryan Young was a clear, clear, clear. Just how have you not called a foul on Ryan Young? But whatever. I think this guy stay on the floor. You know, I I think Matthew Marsh played a a good game on Tuesday. Stay on the floor. Not that I don't want Matthew out there for extended period of times. It's this is a know your personnel. I think Filipowski is a bad matchup for Marsh. I just, I just think he is. You know, if Mar- Marsh is going to cat an offer some minutes, then he, that's going to happen. But I'd rather him be on your terms, not on the fact that you're missing Efton because he's gotten two or three silly fouls. And they, they didn't have a, they didn't really have a ton of answers to Efton or Andrew Carr, to be quite honest. Andrew Carr had 12, had 12 and five in assists in that game while only playing 28 minutes. Like Carr was insanely efficient uh, from, from the field in that game. You know, I don't think they necessarily have an answer for, for Reed and, and Carr. And, and you know, I think it'd be kind of interesting. If they play a little more inside out in this game. I've mentioned it on Twitter and it, it it feels like they do not trust, and by they I mean Wake. They do not trust one uh, Tyrese Proctor to close out well. They they attacked that closeout a lot, and it was they they, they got on, they got on the shot once, but twice they got it purely. He closed out, and they just pumped and just went straight to the basket and, and got a bucket. I think you're going to see a little more of that in this game. You know, you know, obviously he's coming back from, from, from a concussion, but 
I, I think they're going to attack a little more, but I do think if Efton can stay on the court, they're going to they're going to feed Efton and, and see what he can do out there. Efton's been a very good passer out of the block. That little two man game with him and him and Carr have been has been a very successful thing. So, I mean, again, again, it comes down to can can Boop and Cam just not be the two worst players on the court, man? Like that's they were not the two worst. They were nowhere near the two worst players on the court. Wake one by thirty three. If there are two worst players on the court, you're going to lose. If they're not, you're going to win. That's as simple as it's going to be. I think this is one, I mean, again, you got to, you got to have it. But I, this is also one where you kind of need, you need to see how much you've grown up. This is one where you can't, I, I, I did say you need to like, you know, let the crowd be part of it. You know, take advantage of that shoes, but you can't be too ant. And that goes kind of directly to, Boop and camp. This one, this can't be one where you're sitting here trying to be like, this is my redemption game. We're gonna we're gonna be we're going to redeem ourselves right here, right now. You know how you redeem yourselves right here, right now? By winning this stupid game. By winning. That's how you redeem yourself. You don't you don't redeem yourself because Boop dropped 35 and Cam dropped 20. No, you were if that happens and you win, that's great. But the ultimate point of this is you gotta win. Cam Hilfiger can sit out there and score zero points, play the best defense of his life, and have five five rebounds and six assists. And I'll be like, I will sit here on Monday and go, that was a fantastic performance by Cam Hilfiger. Because it probably would have been. Because that means he shut down someone that hasn't been shut down all year. And then he sat there, he played within himself, he moved the ball around, he got rebounds. I'm fine with that. I don't need you scoring 15 to 20 points right now, Cam. Same thing with you, Boop. If, if, if he sits there... And he scores, you know, he had 18 against, he got he got wherever he wanted against Pitt. You know, if he scores 14, 16 points, that's fine. But, like, I, I don't need this to be a, you know, I, I, I'm I fine with him taking 12 shots just because of most of them were at the rim. But, you know, keep the ball moving. Let's get it to Efton. Let's get it to the car. Let's get it to Hunter. Like, Hunter's Alice, they are like three to four people. On in this conference that can guard Hunter's house, one of them was Ryan Dunn. One of them is the team of FSU because I think those sort of teams just give will give Wake problems like that Houston FSU sort of just six eight and long sort of sort of teams. One of those people was Hunter House. I kind of noticed this during his during his interviews, and, and it's and you can just, you can see it in something they talked about on the broadcast on Wednesday on Tuesday, excuse me. The coaches are trying to get Hunter more aggressive. You don't need Hunter to sit here, play hero ball, and shoot 25 times. I don't need that. No one needs that out of Hunter. Keep the ball moving. That's fine. But sometimes when you need a bucket, go. Hunter's house has got to be the guy to be like, look, give me the effing ball. I'm going to go score. That's that's what you need out of Hunter. And that's what you saw a bit in this Duke game was there were times that Hunter was like, look, man. I don't care. Give me the ball. I'm going to go score. And what did he do? He went and scored. He had what 22, five and four in that game. That's what Hunter's got to be. He's like Duke has gotten away a bit, away with a bit of playing very, very, very just just being athletic and out athleting the other team. And that and it kind of makes people kind of speed up a bit because it's like, man, I don't know if I can catch up to this, and it just makes you go from there. Hunter is as athletic as just about every person on the team. 
Like Hunter, like Hunter is is an athletic freak. This Hunter's burst is insane. That's got to come out on Saturday. Hunter's house has got to be one of the reasons you win this this game. He can't just be like, "Oh, he's an ancillary piece." No, he, this is, he's got to be one of the, one of the people you lean on to win this to win this basketball game. This one's gonna be weird. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna feel weird. If you're in DC, we will be having something at Whitlow's on the first floor. I'm kind of a little bit sad I can't be down for for this game, but you know, obviously I'll be for the entire AC tournament. This game is going to come. The line's going to come out tomorrow afternoon. Do not freak out on either side of it. If Wake is a one point underdog or a one point favorite, I lean to it opening at a pickup. I lean to it opening a pickup. I think it ends up being about Wake minus one, Wake one and a half. If you look at it on Torvik right now, it is Wake minus 1.8, excuse me, 1.3. You know, I think that one, one and a half, I think get up to a two as well, just because Wake has done well at home. And by well, I mean they are the second best team in the last three years at home, only behind Houston. They are obviously 14 and 0 at home this year. You know, the shooting has just been better. And I think there's a, I mean, there's a clear, there is a clear regression opportunity here for kind of both teams, both from Wake's home offense kind of regressing and not being able to make shots, but also from Duke. So uh, at Duke better, lovely, lovely name, but uh, he, they, they, I don't, I actually don't know if it's he, but they do have a, a podcast on the field of 68 network. I'm presumably about Duke. I don't, I haven't listened to it. I, I can't say that, but it's between my feed today. I've had a stat, at, quote unquote, Duke's opponents three point percentage by month: November thirty two point seven percent, December thirty three point six percent, January thirty four point eight percent, February twenty six point one percent. Who has Duke played in February? Duke has played. My computer has decided that freezing on me is just going to be what we're doing today. All right, so Duke has played. Notre Dame, not a good offensive team. I was, I was, I was kind of looking ahead a little bit just to see what that was like. Uh, Notre Dame has has not been a good, good offensive team in the slightest. Uh, they opened the month with Carolina. Carolina shot nine for twenty four to so about thirty, about thirty eight percent. So I mean, Carolina definitely bucked the trend there against Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish. Shot a whopping drum roll, please. Notre Dame shot a whopping seven for 27, 25 points, 0.9 percent. Obviously, Wick Forest is involved in that February, <laughs> that those February numbers. Wick Forest shot a abysmal six for 26 in that game. I have never seen so many missed wide open shots. Florida State last, last Saturday shot. 28.6% or 14 and Miami got their heads cracked last night. They got, they, they got their teeth kicked in. I get, I get their, their hurt, but they've kind of, that team is also just like kind of quit. And it's not, you know, it's not something I think Larry, Naga is going to, going to, you know, step down or something like that. He's not Jim Beheim just because he looks like Jim Beheim. But 
I think they've quit. That team has not been good at all. Miami shot 24%, so for 25. So this kind of makes it feel eerily similar to the UNC sort of situation where I pointed out that UNC had a, it was, I think, fourth or fifth in the conference at that point in terms of people taking threes against them. Like everyone was taking like a bunch of threes against them. Part of it was because they were down, but people were shooting threes at a insanely high volume. Same sort of thing now with uh, with Duke. Same sort of same tweet. Uh, quote unquote, opponents are also shooting threes at a higher volume in February than they have all year. So there's been some defensive improvement. I'd also expect some aggression at this point. I do too. Um, you know, like I said with UNC, UNC I thought was due from aggression. Wake didn't shoot good at all against three, but now teams are shooting about 34% against UNC since January 30th coming down from, I think the people were shooting like 24, 25% um, against, against UNC going into that game. There's some regression coming for, for Duke's threes. Like they're giving up a lot of open threes. They're giving up a lot of just good looks from behind the arc. Eventually water finds its level. Unfortunately, that also can be said for Wake Forest who have shot it absolutely toward Mark from three, they've shot 58 for 116. That is 58. That is 50% on the dot in their last five home games. That is a that is a number that is just not sustainable at all. Love it. I think it's fun. It's always fun to just make memes about it. The regression monster is coming for somebody on Saturday, I think. I, I have a strong feeling the regression monster is coming. Parker has been shooting great. I did enjoy how Parker did not show any fear against Duke and Cameron. Second to third year Parker is going to be, I think second year Parker is going to be not going to be nasty. Third year Parker is going to be. Yeah. Damari. I mean, I think Damari has actually, you know, has really, he understands the shot hasn't been there. He, He understands it. The defense has been improved. The rebounding has been improved. He's always been a good passer. The shots are coming. You don't, you don't, you don't, you aren't that good of a shooter and then have a four for 19 slump without breaking out soon. I don't know if it comes on Saturday. If it does, I think the Joel might actually implode if Damari has like a four for four or five for five game. I think they, I think the Joel might actually implode. I think he's close. I think, I think, I think he's close. And the thing with Damari is it just takes one or two. It just takes a couple. Doesn't it? it I know he's been chucking up a few. It's it, all it takes is, is, is two. And I think I th- one or two. And I think he's going to, he's going to snap back into it, especially at home. You know, he doesn't have to travel right now. He can get all the, he can get all the stuff worked out on his knee. It's fine. I don't know if it's going to be him on Saturday, but if it is, I'm going to need a drink. Everything's in front of you. Everything is in front of Wake Forest. If you lose, the season is not over. It may, things are, things get a lot harder, but you still have two Q1 opportunities in front of you, but it makes life so, so, so much easier to, if you just win this game. That being said, there are talks about this team coming back. There are, are hefty talks about 
bringing some certain people back. I mean, everyone can come back. Everyone that has a, everyone's team can come back if they wish, and if the if the staff think it's in their best interest for them to come back. But um, Mr. Headband, there have been talks about you know what what the offer could be. You know, I think, and here I'm gonna spend the last minute and a half talking about Mr. Hunter. It's been kind of all over the place with his, you know, draft stock and kind of where it is. I think it ultimately comes down to, you know, I think he needs to get a little bit stronger. I think he's got to hone in defensively a little more. He's He's been an insane scorer this year. I think he's going to absolutely crush the combine. If he can elevate his play to just being unreal, like what he was doing in that first half of pit, if that can be who he is two halves a game for the next, you know, six, seven games, Hunter's gone. Like, that's a first-round pick. He's going to blow up the combine. He's done. If he's kind of keeping on the same trajectory he is right now, there is a very realistic planet where a solid offer is made. He says, you know what? I think he is... And if you've known me and how I talk about these sort of things, I'm usually pro just go, just go because you're not getting any younger and people hold age against you in the draft. He is someone that I think could benefit from another year. You know, unless you're just out here getting an outright just first round promise, I, he's someone that I think could very, very, very much benefit for another year in college. He's absolutely bloomed underneath Steve Forbes. You know, I think that I think the team and the right people are cognizant of that and saying, hey, you know, we can make put together a significant package. I'm not removing that from the I'm not removing. You know, Hunter, Carr, Damari, Parker, Efton, et cetera, boop, all back next year. And so I think if you can do that and you get some more depth around them, whether it's the people you have sitting on the bench or some transfers or a little bit of A and B, I think you could have some fun. I think you could have some real, real fun. That's all for me. Thank you guys so much. Always love listening. Always love working on these. And as always, good eeks.